Let's pray for a moment as we look at God's word this morning. Father, I want to thank you that you are a speaking God. I want to thank you that you're a God who does things. You're not a piece of stone or a piece of metal, but you are the living God. Uh, And Father, I just want to remind us of that today, that you are the living God. You live and you are involved in our lives. And so, Lord, I bless you this morning and I pray that as we look at your word, that you would speak to us, that you would give us revelation and that we would know you better in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking on Proverbs 3, and I just want to finish that off this morning. So this is part two of Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to read this out. If you have your Bibles, feel free to follow along. Um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so don't worry if mine is slightly differently uh, worded differently than yours. Proverbs 3. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. Uh, If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths, All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. By wisdom the Lord founded the earth. By understanding he created the heavens. By his knowledge the deep fountains of the earth burst forth and the dew settles beneath the night sky. My child, Don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them, for they will refresh your soul. They are like jewels on a necklace. They keep you safe on your way, and your feet will not stumble. You can go to bed without fear, and you will lie down and sleep soundly. You need not be afraid of sudden disaster, 
nor the destruction that comes upon the wicked, for the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it, when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and I'll help you then. Don't plot harm against your neighbor, for those who live nearby trust you. Don't pick a fight without reason, when no one has done you harm. Don't envy violent people or copy their ways. Such wicked people are detestable to the Lord, but he offers his friendship to the godly. The Lord curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the upright. The Lord mocks the mockers and is gracious to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools are put to shame. You know, this is such an amazing chapter. I actually love Proverbs. I think Proverbs is a great book. Uh, you would do well to read through the book of Proverbs and allow it just to wash over you. And, and last time we kind of looked that obeying God's commands give us a long and satisfying life. That if we are loyal and kind, we will find favor with God and man. I mean, I, when the queen passed away, I thought of that, you know, in the verses here about loyalty and kindness. And it says, if you have loyalty and kindness, you will find favor with God and man. And surely the queen was an example of that, of loyalty and kindness. And tomorrow we will honor her as uh, she is uh, buried and we'll just see how many people she touched as people tune in to honor her. You know, knowing which path to take requires us leaning on God's wisdom and talking to him. Healing for the body and strength for your bones comes when we say, I'm trusting in God and not in myself. It talks about having plenty. We've heard already this morning that bills are going up, costs are going up, but having plenty comes when we honor God with what he has given to us. I mean, there are many ways where we can explain that, but I spent some time talking about that. And then when we go through tough times, we understand that God disciplines us. All that is what we looked at a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to continue this morning, and I'm going to ask you a question which you should easily be able to answer because we've just read um, this chapter. What is this? It's more profitable than silver. It's better than gold. It's more precious than rubies. It's be better than anything you can desire. It offers you long life. It gives you riches and honor. It guides you down delightful paths. It's completely satisfying. It's a tree of life and it makes people happy. What is it? wisdom. When I watch some of the adverts online, they certainly say all of this, but their focus is not wisdom. I wonder this morning what we look at that in life will cover all of those things. What do we think is profitable? I mean, to say better than gold, I mean, that's a lot, isn't it? 
I mean, gold represents kind of possessions and wealth and all of those things. And when you ask people, they'll say, well, it's in stocks and shares, it's in working hard, it's in do all of those things. But here we're told it comes with wisdom. It's better than anything you desire. Is that true? Do you desire God's wisdom? It offers long life. It brings riches and honor. Why does it offer long life? Because actually wisdom is a thing that teaches us how we should live, what we should do. It is out of wisdom that we act on those things. It says that wisdom is a tree of life. Picture in your mind any kind of tree, a nice huge tree that's by water. It's a tree that brings life. It makes people happy. It ties in really with the next section that talks about common sense and discernment. We don't have a lot of wisdom in our world, I'm sorry to say. We have even less common sense. You know, it, it's always amazed me, my whole life, it's amazed me that we call it common sense when it is not common. Common sense. You see, wisdom, if we turn for a moment to uh, Colossians, Colossians 2 and 3, I think it is, yes, says this. In him, it's talking about Jesus, in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all hidden in Jesus Christ. To the depth and to the uh, breadth that we know Jesus, to that level will we know wisdom to that level will we know that our lives are built on the correct foundation. I find it amazing that it says that by wisdom the Lord founded the earth. I mean, if you want to see the effect of wisdom, go for a walk in Sandwell Valley. Look around at all that's created and know this, that by wisdom the Lord founded it. And then begin to look out at the stars and the sun and the planets and know that by God's understanding from his wisdom, he created those. And then it says, by his knowledge, the deep fountains of the earth burst forth and the dew settles beneath the night sky. God used his wisdom, his understanding and his knowledge and with it, he created the very world that we live in. Maybe we need to challenge ourselves that what we actually do is ensure that we're following God's wisdom. I think a big challenge that young people who are Christian will face, and we see increasingly, is that people are moving away from wisdom that is biblical. But, what, I mean, one of the, the highlights for me in that that is positive are the number of people who are not Christian who say we have to be really careful in tearing down walls without knowing why they were put up there in the first place. 
You know, somebody can go to a property and say, ah, oh, I've bought this property, now it's mine. And they say, I'm going to do some work here. And they start to work removing this, removing that, without asking the question, why is that there? There's been more than one house that's collapsed because um, a wall that bears all the weight of the house has been removed and the house collapses. Where I live in Tipton, there is a, a pub up the road. I think it's called the Old Barrel or Ye Old Barrel. And the whole building is not kind of like that. It is like that. Because underneath are some mining sinkholes and uh, it is gradually tilting over more and more. I never know why it's still allowed for people to go in. They must have done some major work. But when you look at it, you think, wow, that looks out of kilter. Wisdom is essential. We need the wisdom of God. Now, there are two things here. The first is this. Whenever you are placed in a position of persecution, the Holy Spirit will give you the wisdom that you need. You don't have to worry about that. If you are ever brought before a court because of what you believe in Christ, you know already you don't need to worry about what you will say because the Holy Spirit will put the words in your mouth to speak. He will give wisdom. But there's a wisdom that we need to live by and it's always a challenge because the wisdom of God doesn't seem to be wisdom. Let me give you an example. How in the Bible do we get wealthy? Well, the answer is you give away what you've got. But that doesn't seem to be wisdom, does it? I mean, how on earth can I get more if I give away what I have? I, I tell you why. Because in God's wisdom, it is a principle. How do I get less? Well, I hoard what I have. I mean, there's that, that phenomenal story that Jesus tells of this wealthy man who says, man, I've got so much that for the rest of my life, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to whack it all in there. I'm going to put my feet up and say, man, rest. Take it easy. And God says, you foolish person. Your life is going to be required tonight. And then who's going to get everything you leave behind? And I want to say to you, although sometimes it doesn't seem in the wisdom of the world that God's wisdom is wisdom, we already know in 1 Corinthians that it tells us that God's wisdom is seen as foolishness by the world and God's wisdom makes the wisdom of the world foolishness to those who believe. Here's the challenge. The challenge is that we will work on wisdom depending upon whom we trust. If we trust God, then we know that if we use our finances the way he tells us, if we are generous, if we look after the poor, if we don't withhold, if we give, we know that in our old age or whatever, God will sustain us no matter how it happens. I can tell you testimonies from different people where God has provided. I know one lady who, she was in ministry with her husband. He built up quite a large ministry. And then in his early 50s, he died. And the whole ministry, it all went and all of her income went. 
And she goes, well, what do I do now? She got a, a phone call from um, somebody who was her Sunday school teacher. She was now in her 50s, so this was a Sunday school teacher. He must have been in the 70s or so. And he said, God told me to give you some money. And he gave her enough money for half a house. And they think, well, where's the wisdom in that half a house? You can't live in half a house. Then her sister came and said, my husband and I want to move in the area where you are, but we've only got enough money for half a house. Would you like to buy a house together and we'll live together? And that's where she's now living. You know, in the wisdom of God, she trusted God and God did it. We've seen God do miracles. You know, my wife and I, we can sit down with you and talk about the miracles God has done. But you can only talk about the miracles God has done when you trust in God to do it. If you trust in the world to do it, it'll never be a miracle. And the world operates very differently in how it expects things to happen. You've got to put it in the bank. You've got to keep it safe. I was challenged a few years ago reading through scripture. I read through every year. And I was challenged that, I don't know if you know this, but do you know that you can already store up money in heaven? Did you know that? You know, much in the same way that you store money for your pension on earth, you can already put stuff aside for when you get to heaven. Did you know that? You might think, well, how do I do that? By giving to the poor. Every time you give something to the poor, God puts something in your coffers in heaven. So actually, you can put as much in heaven as you like, depending upon how you use your money on earth, how you treat the poor around you. When I was a lot younger, and I used to walk into town, and you see these guys begging, and they'd have a dog or something, and I used to be a bit irritated and say, you know what, uh, that's a lot of money, and uh, that they need to look after their dog and stuff, and they're going to use the stuff on alcohol, and so I wouldn't give. Yep. And then one day God said to me, they will answer for how they use what they're given, but you will answer for your generosity. It's not your decision to make about how they use it. And you know what? I love it now. You can just give. I don't care what they do with it. I mean, I hope they don't buy alcohol or drugs with it, but I don't really care because my role is that I want to help and I want to give and I'm not going to judge what they do. I will just give. We can kind of work it out in our mind, oh, they'll just do this. Let me tell you, if you want to store up treasure in heaven, give to the poor. Can already do that. There was a testimony. Many moons ago, there was a testimony of a man, quite well-known preacher. He died and he was brought back to life, but in the time between he came back to share testimony, kind of what went on. And he got to heaven, the Lord met him, and he says, we've prepared a place for you. Because, oh good, and, and the Lord takes him, and there are these massive mansions there and there. And he's walking along thinking, wow. And the Lord says, yours is at the end, and then walking along. And they come to the end, and there's a little wooden shack. And the Lord says, this is yours. And he goes, 
I, I don't understand. And the Lord says, well, we did the best with what you sent up. It's always stayed with me, that. We have an opportunity on this earth. I mean, after all, it's just money. I mean, Jesus paid his temple tax by telling Peter to go and fish. He could have said, hey, Peter, why don't you go and talk to Judas? He's got the money. Because no, you just go and fish. First fish you catch, they're two gold coins. One is for me, one is for you, pay our tax. Wisdom. We need wisdom. And, you know, verse 21, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Don't people know you shouldn't take your kids to school wearing your pajamas? Maybe that's just me. I've seen parents wearing a onesie taking their kids to school. I don't know. Just seems a bit odd to me. Maybe I've just got a bit old now. Common sense. We need to pray and ask God to help us so that we don't lose sight of that. And just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that it's good for us to do. You know, we find as we go through in verse 26 that the Lord is our security. Think about that for a moment. He's your security. Everything we've said so far about wisdom, about finance, about what we do, our security is God. He's the one we trust in. And I would say, as a believer, the biggest challenge I have is that every time I connect with the world, it wants me to see what it does as being wisdom and adopt that wisdom and jettison what God wants me to do. But if I do that, I lose my security in God. Because I've got to trust God. I've got to live a life that says whether uh, I fall over or stand, I do it all in God. John Piper, the, the, the guy from the church in America, has written a lot of books, quite a theologian. And he said, churches should fail if they don't trust God. The problem is a church can succeed if it's got enough money. But we should fail. We should fail as believers if we don't trust God. It should be on that. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that we looked at the other time? It's about leaning on God. And if God moves, we fall. That's what leaning is all about. And so this idea is that God is our security. I mean, the irony is this. When, like the Queen... We pass from this life to the next. There is no worldly security that we can rely upon. We come completely before God and his kingdom with nothing in this world that can aid us there. At that point, we have to fully trust God, but really, we should be doing it now. I mean, if we trust that God will take us into eternity to be with him for all time, then surely we can trust that over the few years we're on the earth, that he will be our security. But we need to put our trust 
in him. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. And I know its focus is you can't serve God and money, and I think that's a really important one, but I think there are many things that sometimes we try to serve God and. Can't do it. And then we have, at the end, this kind of group of do not. This is now the first section. It tells us to do a lot of stuff, but here in verse 27 it says, do not. It's good for us. Listen, well, what shouldn't we do? Well, we shouldn't withhold good. Now, there's a bit of a thing here. Do not hold good from those who deserve it. Got to be really careful who we think deserves it. Because in the New Testament, this is Old Testament, in the New Testament, we recognize that we don't deserve anything either. That it's God's grace and God's love and God's compassion. And we should act like that to people. Do not withhold good. Uh, you know, I had this, I don't know, for me it was a revelation many years ago and it was simply this. God will never ever reprimand me for being good or for being kind or for being generous. You're not going to get to heaven and God's going to say, why did you give that person all of that money? God will commend us for being generous. When we do good, when we are generous, these are all things that demonstrate that we are children from our Father in heaven. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's within your power to help them. And then it gives this amazing example. If you can do it now, don't put it off until tomorrow. It's easy to do, isn't it? Oh, I'll do that tomorrow. Or maybe I'll do it next week. Oh, I'll do it next time when I see them. That's putting off. Scripture says, if it's good, don't withhold it. Do it now. Then it says, don't plot harm against your neighbor. Now, this is very tempting. Especially if your neighbors are not nice neighbors. Don't pick a fight without reason. You know, it's really easy to pick a fight. It amazes me sometimes in the playground when you see parents fighting. Don't pick a fight. Here's another one that's really important, verse 31. Don't envy violent people. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because as I look at what's on the television, pretty much all of it is fairly violent. Even amongst the stuff that children watch, there is a lot of violence. And why should we not envy the violent people? Because it says, don't copy their ways. It's tempting to copy their ways. When I was a child at school, I remember this. When I was a child at school, we had what were they called? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They first came out. And they were banned at school. Yeah, they were banned at school because when it first went in, the kids became really violent trying to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and doing flying kicks to their colleagues um, and classmates. And so it was banned. They said, it's increased violence in our school, so we are now banning that in school. 
Do not envy violent people. Do not copy their ways. And here's what God thinks. He says, such wicked people are detestable to the Lord. So what do we get instead? Well, we're told here, but God offers his friendship to the godly. If we turn away from those things, then God offers up his friendship. You know, in the end, when you, we finish off with this psalm, as I conclude this morning, it says, The Lord curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the upright. Notice the difference there. One is a house, one is a home. A house is not a home. A house is a house, but a home is a family, a home is love. You see, God creates a home with his people. It's not just a building. You know, the church of Hope Church is not this building, it's the people. And the warmth of Hope Church and the love of Hope Church and the, the caring of Hope Church is all dependent upon each one of us and how we connect and love and how we help one another. It's got nothing to do with the building. The Lord blesses the home of the upright. In the end, God is going to make sure that justice is served over all the earth. But our role in that is to walk with wisdom, with love, with compassion, making sure that every step of the way, what we're doing is trusting in God. I think more than anything, one of the things that I'm quite excited about, and you probably think I'm a bit mad, I'm quite excited that God is so working that we are beginning to question whether our pensions are secure, whether we can pay the energy prices, because all of it is pushing us to trust in God. Let me tell you something that was really evident when I lived in India. In India, a lot of people earned nothing in comparison to what we earned here. They couldn't afford dental treatment. They couldn't afford to go to the doctor. They couldn't afford anything. And because they knew they couldn't, their trust in God was so much higher. At the end of the meeting, you'd say, you know, you'd be preaching. There'd be 300 people there. You'd be preaching, say, if you want prayer, come. And there'd be immediately a queue of 300 people. In the West, I said, well, you know, I'll just go home and take a couple of paracetamol. I'll be fine. And the thing is, God is beginning to remove some of the things that we trust in to say, who are we going to trust? We might well be in a position again where we have to trust God for our daily bread. Or we have to trust God to pay our mortgage or our rent. Or we have to say, Lord, how are we going to do the food this week and not that those things show that we have any kind of lack in faith but it, it, it puts us in a position of trusting God it's so easy to trust what the world has provided and we've lived we've had a blessed last 80 years you know the last 80 years has seen plenty in the UK where people have had good pensions where we were you know one of our biggest problems is heart disease which is a reflection that our diet is too rich and so on and maybe God is changing some of those things to say, you need to trust me. 
You need to trust me. If you read through um, Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, you'll see that when they became wealthy, when it went well, they started to turn away from God. And so don't look at all of this as a negative. I know it's a challenge, but whether we're rich or poor, we trust God. Whether the cupboards are full or empty, we trust God. I think it's Habakkuk that he says, though there is no sheep in the stall, I will trust God. No sheep in the pen, no olives on the vine, yet I will trust in the Lord. And we get through this life by trusting in God, following his wisdom and trusting in what he says. Let's pray.